I love the good work that the folks are doing at our food pantry. My wife volunteers down there every other week, so I hear firsthand stories of what God is doing through that ministry. Thank you again for your generosity. It allows us to give to those in need on a regular basis. That's just incredible. Well, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. I'm grateful to have the opportunity to share God's word with you today. And I hope that you're looking forward to learning from his word and being shaped and changed by his spirit as he speaks to us through it today. But we have been on this year-long journey of Quest 52 where we're pursuing Jesus, we're learning about who he is and who we should be in response to who he is. And we started this year out in the first quarter of this Quest 52 journey by looking at the person of Jesus. We just wrapped up in quarter two looking at the power of Jesus, and today we're kicking off the preaching of Jesus. And one thing that is true about the preaching of Jesus is that it is both powerful and polarizing. That when Jesus spoke, he gathered crowds who were enamored with his words, but also often left frustrated or outright angry at what he had to say. Jesus' preaching was powerful and polarizing. And today's text is going to come from Luke chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to go ahead and get those out, whether they're in print or digital form. Luke chapter 4, and I don't usually do this, but I'm going to start at the end of the text uh, and then back up and, and go back to the beginning. But we see in this text how Jesus' preaching is powerful and polarizing because in verse 22 of Luke chapter 4, here's what we read. Everyone spoke well of him, that is Jesus, and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. It's high praise. And yet if we fast forward to the end of this text in verses 28 and 29, we read, when they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built, and they intended to push him over the cliff. So in a matter of six verses, Jesus' audience goes from praising him for his powerful teaching and preaching to being polarized to the point of wanting him to die for what he had to say. And as we explore Jesus' words today, we are going to find them, even today here at Northside in 2023, to be both powerful and polarizing. And so to kind of set us up, to kind of take some of the air out of the room and relieve the tension a little bit, I want to go through an exercise here where I offer some polarizing statements, all right, just to get us ready for Jesus. We need to get warmed up here. I'm going to need your participation. Very simple. I'm going to make five statements. And after each of these statements, I need you to make a choice. And if you agree with the statement, I need you to cheer, all right? And if you disagree, I need you to boo. Are you guys in for that? This is the Saturday night crowd. You guys should be awake by now, okay? Raise your hand if you're with me. This is, all right, this is awesome, okay. Uh, I'll ask how you're doing here after these five statements, okay? All right, cheer if you agree, boo if you don't. First statement, Popeye's chicken sandwiches are far better than Chick-fil-A. Okay, we got a Chick-fil-A crowd here. I like it, okay. This one's a little more personal to me. The Cincinnati Bengals will win the Super Bowl this coming NFL season. Oh, okay, that was a mixed bag, but my wife and daughter were cheering, so that's all that matters. Go Bengals. 
All right, number three, cold brew coffee is disgusting. I heard, I heard more cheers. The booze lasted longer, but I think there were fewer in number. Except, of course, at our grounded cafe, everything is good there, okay? That's the disclaimer. All right, number four here, brace yourselves, Taylor Swift is overrated. Man, oh, somebody, we had somebody stand up on that one. That's powerful, polarizing. All right, last one. I'm expecting a lot of cheers. I better give them. Toilet paper should always roll over the top and never under. Man. I, I literally think I heard one boo, all right? God bless that spouse, whoever they are. All right, disclaimer, before you email me, Technically, I didn't say that any of those statements were true or that I personally agreed with them, okay? We're done with the cheers and booze, okay? That exercise is over. (laughs) Jesus' preaching was both powerful and it was polarizing. And and I'm going to make a statement here that I want to, to land and sit on your minds and hearts for just a moment here. If you're never offended by Jesus' words, you've either achieved sainthood or you're not taking him seriously enough. I want to say that again. If you're never offended by Jesus' words, you've either achieved sainthood or you're not taking him seriously enough. Because when Jesus preached, it was polarizing. And and at those opposite ends of the spectrum were often those who had the most to gain from what he had to say and those who had the most to lose. And oftentimes those who had the most to gain were outsiders and those who had the most to lose were insiders. And as we are on this pursuit of Jesus in this Quest 52 series, our goal is not just to learn more about Jesus. Scripture says that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Our goal in this journey, in this quest, is to know him more so that we allow him to work in us so that we become more like him. And one of the very best ways that we can determine if we are shaping our lives, if, our, if, if we have a heart like Jesus, is very simply this. Do you love the things he loves and do you hate the things he hates? Because he loves people who are lost and left behind. He loves people who have no social status. He loves the unlovely. Jesus loves the people that society considers the least and the lowest. Do you? And our question for today in this Quest 52 series is this. What did Jesus say about social justice? And before we can answer that question, we've got to define some things. So first, what is social justice? One definition is this. It is the fair and equitable division of resources, opportunities, and privileges in society. 
And yet, if we're going to embrace a Jesus-centered view of society and our role as Christ followers in that society, then our convictions about social justice must first be informed by our understanding of justice itself. And in order to do that, we might ask a few questions that are low-hanging fruit. The first is, what is just? What is truly fair and equitable? Would, would you agree with me that many people have many different definitions of what is just? The second question is this, who determines what is just? Well, in, in one sense, the answer is easy. It's me, right? Whoever me happens to be. Because the truth is that God has created us in his image for his glory. And part of our identity has this, this fun, fundamental conviction about what is just. We have a, a, a built-in, God-given sense of of what should be and what should not be. And over time, sin and the circumstances of life may shape and reshape those convictions, but they are God-given at the outset. And so as we seek to define these things, as we seek to determine their implications on our own lives, we're going to learn today from Jesus' preaching in Luke chapter 4, and we're going to begin in verse 14. And to set this up, a few things that are important to know are that this is Jesus' first teaching in his hometown of Nazareth. He's come back home, and he's showing up at the synagogue, and he's going to share a message for the people where he grew up. And secondly, the author Luke writes about this event first, even though it wasn't actually chronologically first. But he records it first in his narrative of Jesus' life and ministry because it really sets the stage for what he's going to do moving forward. It is a great commission light message. And it will shape and inform what he will do throughout his ministry, leading up ultimately to his death, burial, and resurrection. And beginning in Luke chapter 4, verse 14, we read, Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. And so when Luke writes that Jesus returned to Galilee, it's important to recognize where he returned from. He has returned from being tempted by the devil for 40 days. And that temptation followed his baptism. So the order is baptism, temptation, and then ministry. And Jesus' journey is like many of ours, our own journey of coming to know who God is and what his desire is for our lives, there is a calling, there is a refining, and there is a releasing. For Jesus, that was baptism, temptation, and ministry. 
You may be in that calling portion of your life where the Lord is still calling out to you. You're still kicking the tires on this faith thing. You're still determining whether or not this is the real deal and you're ready and willing to give your life to it. Perhaps you're in the refining phase of your faith where the Lord is doing some good work in your life, but like Jesus' temptation, it isn't always easy. In fact, it may be painful, but he's doing something in you to prepare you for the thing he has prepared for you. And then some of you may find yourselves right in the thick of your calling, you're carrying out, you're living out what God has called you to. Our journey is much like Jesus's. And as Luke says that that Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit's power and his ministry is expanding and word about him is traveling far and wide, he's teaching in the synagogues and he's being praised by everyone. It's important to note and recognize that when Luke says he's teaching in the synagogues, it means that he's teaching fellow Jews. He's speaking to the inside crowd. He's speaking, speaking to religious folk, to God's chosen people. And it's important to know Jesus's audience in the context of this passage because the dynamic of his audience is what makes his preaching in this passage both powerful and polarizing. And so as he's speaking to Jewish people in the synagogue, we continue in verse 16. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. It reminds me of the first time that I stood up in my hometown at my home church to preach the scriptures. I grew up as a PK, a preacher's kid, times two because my mom was a children's minister and so eat, sleep, drink, breathe, church, that was my life. And on January 1st of 2006, I had my first opportunity to stand in front of my home church and preach a message. And I'd like to share with you the opening line from that message, if you're okay with it. You may be underwhelmed. No lie, this was my first statement. I feel like a mosquito in a nudist colony. I know it's great to be here, but I don't know where to start. I heard a boo, I said we were done with that exercise. (laughs) What we're gonna find is Jesus in his hometown preaches a message and for entirely different reasons, he is not responded to very well. And in verse 17, we find out why. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Jesus has chosen to read a a section of scripture from the book of Isaiah, chapter 61, verses one and two. And these passages contain prophecy of the coming Messiah and what he will do. 
They are a foreshadowing of the promised Savior who would come from God to provide for the needs of his holy people. That he will bring good news to the poor. That he will release captives. That he will give sight to the blind. That he will set the oppressed free. That he will usher in the Lord's favor for all people. Why will he do that? Why will he do that? What's the heart behind that? Well, if we go back to Isaiah chapter 61, the very same text that Jesus read and referenced, but we go down a few verses to verse 8 of Isaiah 61, we get the heart behind what Jesus will do, the why, and it is this, for I, the Lord, love justice. I hate justice robbery, and wrongdoing. The Lord says the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I am a God of justice. I love it and I hate theft and wrongdoing. This is the heart of Jesus. So let me ask you, do you love the things he loves? And do you hate the things he hates? Verse 20, he rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. You could hear a pin drop in that moment. Because this is what everybody was thinking. Yeah, Jesus, we've heard those words before. We've read what the prophet Isaiah wrote. We've been praying and waiting for that promised Messiah for a long time. What are you going to say about it? And in verse 21, then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. What has been fulfilled this very day, Jesus? God's promise born out of his love for justice. Jesus will do these things and his followers will do these things in his name. I want to pause for a moment and recognize something. That if you today are poor in spirit, spiritually, or economically, if you are held captive by your own sin, if you, if you just can't see Clearly, if you're oppressed by the sin of someone else, then there is hope for you today in Jesus. It is what he came to do, and you are who he came for. That is the powerful element of Jesus' teaching. 
And in verse 22, we read the response. Everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. Not to add to scripture, but I feel like there should be a, a but right after that. But how can this be? They asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? You see, their problem wasn't with the what. They loved the what. The prophet Isaiah said that the Savior would come and do these amazing things, and we've been waiting for it and looking forward to it. We're good with the what. Our issue is with the who and the how. We know this guy. He's, he's just Joe's kid. And they have an issue with the how because what they're waiting for is a miracle show. What they're waiting for is a song and a dance from Jesus because they've heard the stories of what he's done in other places, of the healing and of the miracles, and he's come to his hometown and they're ready for the show. Front and center, Jesus, show us what you got. And the truth is that you and I often have the same challenge. We, we love the what, but we hate the how. We love the idea that, that God can offer us rest, but we hate the fact that he doesn't promise to rescue us from our circumstance. We, we love the fact that he has promised to provide but we hate the fact that we have to wait for it. Patience is not our virtue. We love the fact that he, he wants to do something in us and, and make us holy, but we hate the fact that he's often gonna do that by allowing us to suffer. And Jesus' audience was no different. They loved the what. Their problem was with the who and the how. And so Jesus says in verse 23, then he said, you will undoubtedly quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself, meaning do miracles here in your hometown like those you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. And it's not because he opened his message with a lame joke, but I'm still telling for some reason and trying to get a different response. But Jesus says, I'm not going to give you a sign of my power like you want me to. And the truth is that you and I often expect Jesus to work in us the same way he's worked in others. God, I saw what you did for them. Jesus, I've, I've read the stories and, and, and they got that. Why not me? And Jesus says, I'm not gonna do for you the same way I've done for someone else. I'm doing a new thing and you're gonna have to trust me. And so Jesus' preaching moves from powerful to polarizing in verse 25 when he says this. Certainly there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time 
when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet, Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And many in Israel had leprosy in the time of the prophet Elisha, but the only one healed was Naaman, a Syrian. Mm-hmm. And, and Siri just responded to that. <laughs> Didn't see that coming. <laughs> Jesus is revealing to his listeners who this prophetic message of hope is for. And it's not just for the insider. He's revealing the the way in which the what, the hope, the promise of the prophet Isaiah, how it would be fulfilled. and, And he's pointing out the fact that the Lord who loves justice, is bringing it to the outsider. Jesus is speaking to Jews, but he's proclaiming hope that is coming for Gentiles. And let me tell you today, this room is full of both insiders and outsiders. I was uh, baptized over 30 years ago. And as I said, I've grown up in the church, so I'm about as insider as you can be in the church. And because of that, over three decades, I've developed some fully formed opinions that in my mind may have calcified into facts. And over that time, I've I've had a picture of what I think the church should be or what I think God should do. And as an insider, it can be really easy to lose sight of and even lose a passion and a heart for the outsider. And there are some of you here today who have been insiders for a long time. And if you're not careful, you'll lose the heart of Jesus for those who are far from him. And there are others of you here today who are outsiders. You're an outsider, maybe uh, maybe you haven't been to church in a long time or ever, but for some reason you showed up today on the arm of a friend or because you saw something on social media or because things have gotten so bad you just had to try something different. And let me tell you, welcome. Jesus loves you, and the Father sent him because of his love for you. There are still others of you who would call yourselves insiders because church isn't anything new to you, but you would also say, you know what, I I, I kind of feel like an outsider because what you can see on the outside doesn't tell the whole story. That that my, my body may be here, My feet may have brought me here, but my heart is far from the Lord. And maybe it's because you 
have been wounded. Maybe it's because there is a sin, as scripture says, that so easily entangles that you just keep going back to it and you feel like a fake and a fraud. And if anybody here actually knew who you were or what you did, they would know you're an outsider and they'd want you to stay out there. Well, let me tell you, friend, it does not matter who you are or what you have done or what has been done to you. Jesus loves you, and the Father sent him out of his great love for you. Welcome home. Welcome home. This message is powerful for the outsider, but it is polarizing for the insider. In verse 28, when they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff. But he passed right through the crowd and went away. Jesus' preaching was so polarizing that they wanted to kill him for it. I want to note for a moment... That in this same chapter of, of Luke, Luke chapter 4, before we get into this narrative of Jesus showing up in his hometown to proclaim good news for the poor, if we go back a few verses to where this chapter begins, we see that temptation of Jesus. And in verse 9 of Luke chapter 4, we read that the devil takes Jesus to a high point and tempts him to jump off. And here, a short time later, 20 verses later, the people take him to the edge of a cliff with a desire to push him off. Those who claimed to be sons and daughters of the Lord Most High were operating with the spirit of the enemy himself. Friends, if you and I are not careful, we will become so blinded to what God wants for the world that we will allow ourselves to be influenced and to, to operate out of the spirit of the enemy even more than the spirit of the Father. What did Jesus say about social justice? Well, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He's sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And when we follow Jesus, not just when we go to church, but when we truly follow Jesus, we love the things he loves and we hate the things he hates. And so what does that mean for us today? You know, I, I've preached for some time. I've certainly heard a lot of sermons over my time in the church. 
And one of the things most frustrating to me is when we hear a message, when we're pointed to scripture, and yet we get to the end and we walk out and we say, I believe all that stuff, and it was even delivered well, and I kind of enjoyed it, but I'm not sure what to do with it. And so I'm going to get as granular as I can possibly get. That if your desire is to follow Jesus, to know him and to be shaped by him and to truly love the things he loves and to hate the things he hates, then we will, as ambassadors of Christ, carry out what the Father sent him to do. And so the first is is we're going to bring good news to the poor. What does that look like? It means sharing the gospel and our resources with those in need. It means taking some of the time we have and some of the money we have and giving it to people who have a great need. We do that at the food pantry. But there are thousands of ways that you can bring the good news of the gospel and some of your resources to those who are spiritually and economically poor. If we're going to have the heart of Jesus, we're going to release captives. That is, we're going to minister to those who are bound by their own sin and suffering. You are neighbors and co-workers and friends and family members of those who are dying under the weight of their own sin and suffering. And you have been called by Jesus, equipped and empowered by his Holy Spirit to minister to them with the hope of the gospel. Do it today. We're going to give sight to the blind. Jesus did that literally, physically. Some of you have been gifted as physicians to do that as well. But we are going to help open the eyes of those who are spiritually blind. We're going to speak truth. We're going to elevate scripture. We're going to point the world to Jesus so that they might truly see. We're going to set the oppressed free in Jesus' name. We're going to minister to those who are victims of the sins of others. We live in a broken world where people are hurting by no fault of their own. Give them Jesus. And we're going to proclaim the Lord's favor for all people. That is, we're going to take Jesus everywhere we go. We're not going to sideline him when it's not socially acceptable. We're not going to leave him on the back burner when it's more fun to go without him. We're not going to relegate the gospel to Saturday evening or Sunday morning. We are going to proclaim the Lord's favor for all people, not just the insider, but the outsider as well, because that is the heart of Jesus. Do you love the things he loves? And do you hate the things he hates? In a moment, we're going to close our service by singing about this very thing. But you and I, friends, we have a role to play in each of these matters of justice that have far-reaching social and spiritual implications. They have eternal significance. And as ambassadors for Christ in a world that desperately needs Jesus in every season and circumstance, let's give him to them. Father, there are moments like these where I am 
painfully aware of how little I deserve to be loved by you. That in my own pride and arrogance, I've chosen my own way. The Bible calls that sin. And yet, when I was an outsider, when I was far from you, when I was your enemy, you sent Jesus for me. Not because I deserved it, but because you are faithful and kind and good. Thank you, Lord. And for my brothers and sisters gathered here today, God, first and foremost, would they know your great love for them? And would they embrace the great calling you've placed on each of us to speak Jesus everywhere we go? For your glory and for our good. And we pray all of this in the beautiful and powerful name of Jesus. Amen.